graphic designers, illustrators, other creatives are really innately highly curious people and they're interested in a whole bunch of different crafts. And one of the first things that struck me about photography is photographers aren't and they're often not from a creative background either. So they immediately jump on this linear linear thread um, and it's all the same crap everyone talks about, about don't look at stuff in the same industry, et cetera, et cetera. Hello and welcome to the Way Up North podcast. This is where we get to know the speakers presenting at Europe's wedding photography conference, Way Up North. We're not interested in which apertures they use or what they carry in their camera bags. Instead, we aim to get to know them a little bit better as people. My name is Jacob and in a few moments you'll hear my colleague Cole interviewing Ali Sansom. We're almost through the list of speakers for Way Up North Rome. Only two names to go now. In this 10th episode of the Way Up North podcast leading up to the Rome event, we'll hear Australia-based Ali Sansom. Ali is one of those characters in the wedding photography world that has that special something about him, the X factor that makes him interesting. So uh, without further ado, here is Cole's talk with Ali. It includes blood and death metal, among other things. So you're a, you're a traveling man in high demand. How did that happen? Ah, oh, dude, it's that's that's beyond me. It's um, it's it's a bizarre it's a bizarre thing being put in this predicament where suddenly you're not producing your art because you're too busy um, writing and talking about it. So yeah, I, it just crept up the last twelve months. Um, I did a speaking thing in New Zealand with this wonderful conference called A Bit More Soul a few years ago, and that was the first. And it's kind of just started ballooning from there. Was it kind of unexpected in a way? And and I asked that because like you had another career before photography um, kind of kicked off. You're you're doing other design related things. So when you were in your old career, if you want to call it that, did you have similar levels of success and um, kind of like I don't know a demand on you? No. Uh, no. Uh, look, I I could always find a, a good high-level job when I wanted. That that was never an issue. I think I probably had subtle delusions of grandeur with that in that I had great taste in that job. I had really good taste. But the thing I found was I could never really be stuffed. I wouldn't. It wouldn't keep me up late at night, that kind of thing. And I think as a result, I wasn't as good as I wanted, ever wanted to be. So definitely no for that. And I don't think – I think getting notoriety in that industry is a little bit of a different game as well. I guess maybe just preface it with like, what was that industry in case people have no idea what that was that you were doing? So I worked, I sort of, I trained, my background's in illustration. Um, and from there I started making the things I was drawing move and going to animation. Um, and from there sort of picked up design typography skills and just had a love for that. So inevitably I ended up doing art direction and creative direction um, at agencies and, and startups and that kind of thing. Um, I made games for Atari. I designed characters for large vodka brands and all sorts of weird and wonderful things. And were you working for an agency or were you kind of like a freelancer? Always always a bit of both. Yeah, always a bit of both. Um, at the end, I was working for a startup and following their collapse, that's what kind of tipped into the photography thing happening. But I kind of, I think six, seven years ago, I was at large agencies and I started downscaling to try and get away from that whole hierarchical thing. 
Oh, really? It's interesting. My wife and I were talking recently about like um, entrepreneurs and entrepreneurs who, uh, you know, work as entrepreneurs versus those who are in, in the corporate world. We were talking about it because like I'm, I'm, you know, organizing way up north the event and I'm finding the most frustrating thing is waiting on other people. And what she said to me was, that's just the way it is when you work in corporations and in that kind of working environment versus, you know, entrepreneurs who want things done immediately. Did you feel that way? Is that why you kind of went full on self-employed? Uh, as in like a general impatience thing? Yeah. Yeah. Like, do you have an impatient personality? There's a, there's another way of asking it. I think if you ask some people close to me, they'll probably say, probably say, probably tell you, yes, I can be, I can be impatient, which kind of contrasts really interestingly with this enormous procrastinator that I am. I get very little done and I have very little functional working hours in a day. It's, it's actually pretty remarkable. Um, like, like but, on that note, really, like you have very function, very few functional working hours in uh, a day. So like, what does that mean? Does that mean you just are incredibly efficient when you sit down and do shit and then, you know, 95% of the rest of the day you put it off or like what kind of what kind of guy are you when it comes to working and, and being self-employed it's a funny thing about being employed at agency when you've got a you've got this really unique thing that you don't have as a, as a freelancer and that's a when your time is valuable to a company and accounted for you have a project manager that manages your time so you log into a system um, every 15 minute block is accounted for and you're, you're hugely efficient in an agency you just you learn to work faster and everything and, and I when I want to work fast, I can work crazy fast. Um, now that I don't have a like a you know a, a work daddy looking over me, it's a it's a different game entirely. Yeah. But you still get shit done, apparently. Yeah, if 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 I need to, I can. But I'm really trying to harness that because I inevitably find myself going down these really um, interesting Wikipedia trails. Today I was I think reading about Aaron Carter for about an hour, and I'm like, <laughs> dude, what the hell are you doing? <laughs> well. Like when you get, I don't know, like I, I don't know your like background that well, so I'm not going to pretend I do, but it seems to me that you got to a point where you're like, okay, I want to be my own boss in a way and, and not work for somebody else. So like, what was the tipping point there? Like what made you say like, why now? And, and what made you do it? In my early and mid twenties, there's, there's kind of this whole impetus to always be working and um, always have a job. Um, and I job hopped. If ever I left a job, um, I'd be in a new one within a month or two. Or actually, actually cancel that. I I was never a, a day out of work. Um, I think in my early twenties when I was freelancing, there'd be gaps between gigs. But um, I when when the last place I worked for collapsed, I just thought to myself, "Hold on, dude, you have, I haven't got a mortgage, I haven't got kids. I there's no need to jump into to another job. I worked out what my base living um, income requirements were, and they were tiny. So I'm like. Okay, what's keeping me up late at night? Photography is keeping me up till three or four in the morning. Let's follow that thread. Um, so it was literally as simple as that. The only thing I wish is that there was a way of kind of instilling that mentality ten years earlier. Yeah, so yeah. It was literally, it was literally like, okay, here's the wheel of a ship. I can actually control it. And um, yeah, it's it's pretty freeing once you realize that. Like in, in terms of like general interests and hobbies, like you're a designer, you do mu music, you do photography, you do a whole bunch of other things. Do you prioritize any of these interests that you have over another? Like, do you prioritize photography, for example, because it pays the majority of your bills? Or do you kind of spread your interests around and, and just kind of like think of money as a byproduct of your interests? I'm more moving down that path now um, to the point of I'm outsourcing um, 
my last four or five wedding jobs. So I've hit a point where I'm like, I've been constantly behind for nearly two years and constantly in um, anxious catch up mode. And I've, I've gone, damn, I've got to clear that because I need a couple of years ago, I started a band with a few friends and, you know, within one year we'd cut a whole bunch of tracks we're really proud of. Um, and I miss, I miss being able to do that. So yeah, I'm moving. I've, I've got the itch back to do a bunch of other things. I've got a bunch of weird and wonderful startup ideas. Um, I've got apps that I'm finally hiring developers to make because I've been procrastinating for three years. So I like I like to spread it across a few things, definitely. Yeah, that's interesting. So, like, I guess just to stick with the photography thing, it was a couple of years ago when wedding your wedding work kind of um, started to spread around on online and whatnot, and and there was kind of like a, a point where all of a sudden you were you know well known within the photography community, and I think that sort of I don't know, skyrocketing type of reputation is something a lot of people strive for. It's, a lot of people want that. They take workshops to kind of like try and figure out how did you achieve that and what's the secret sauce? And there isn't, I don't think. But for you, like when people take your workshops or they listen to you present or, or try and like pick your brain for your knowledge, do you kind of like have any tips for them that you applied to your own like quick rise to success? Or is there just simply a lot of luck involved and you were at the right place at the right time? Oh, there's so much luck and right place, right time. And actually, it's funny, when you guys um, actually picked up on my stuff, you were one of the first where I'm like, holy shit, that's that's awesome. Because um, I saw guys like Nordica and a few others um, in one of this Flickr groups sort of um, giving positive feedback. And that was pretty inspiring. It drives you to, to keep doing what you're doing. Um, Tips-wise, it's fun. Like, I... I just kind of think you can't duplicate anything. So for me, I'm all about just giving yourself a fighting chance in as many areas as possible. Um, and when I talk in workshops, I talk, I apply a lot of my design and creative agency thinking um, to photography as far as bringing in points of difference in marketing or um, post-production or style of shooting. Because the one thing I see, the one thing I noticed back in agency land is if graphic designers, illustrators, other creatives are really innately highly curious people and they're interested in a whole bunch of different crafts. And one of the first things that struck me about photography is photographers aren't and they're often not from a creative background either. So they immediately jump on this linear linear thread um, and it's all the same crap everyone talks about, about don't look at stuff in the same industry, et cetera, et cetera. But my real interest is getting people curious um, and passionate about other crafts because the tangible tie-in is so dramatic and obvious and tangible. That's interesting. Do you know the term design thinking? Is that something that... I've, yeah, that's a, that's a pretty marketed term at the moment. Yeah, definitely. Is that something that means anything to you? Like, how would you define that? Or do you kind of, like, think that's just a little load of bullshit? A bit from column A, a bit from column B. I'm trying to think of what design thinking means to me. If I feel like I've seen marketers use it. Um, quite a bit I'm trying to think of um, what they're probably referring to when I think of design thinking um, I mean for me it's about design elements but I try I try to go quite a bit far, further beyond that fair, fair that's play a pretty, that's a narrow view of it um, I think I've probably got a narrow view of the term but it can mean a lot more to a lot of other people yeah, asking you that just kind of reminded me of um, some of the email exchanges we've had in Facebook uh, messaging um, about the theme of way up north which is kind of a loose theme it's intent like we we kind of picked that that as kind of like a general idea for the presentations and 
I might be wrong, but in reading your replies to um, getting you to like, you know, write two sentences about it, you're kind of like, I don't know, maybe I'm wrong, but I feel like you're hesitant about it. So, so I think, I don't know, like intent and inspiration and all those kind of fluff light things. Like, do you think that's all a lot of bullshit that people are just kind of like pushing on other photographers to sell workshop, like inspiration, for example, like all that kind of stuff. Like, what, what do you think about that? Um, it, it is, and it, it isn't bullshit. It's like I, everything is able to be packaged, and everything is valid in its own package. But the key is to recognise that it's exactly that something that's packaged and nothing more. Um, you know, the, the storytelling movement that marketers in every creative industry have completely grabbed onto has become has, has spawned this thing of people wanting to be storytellers, but almost at the expense of all of these other things that their craft can be and encompass. So, I mean, I gave a talk in LA a couple of weeks ago and it, was, it wasn't anti-storytelling, but it was about going, hey, this is a tool. Um, there's all these other switches you can flick. And if you decide to call yourself this one particular thing, it can actually have a really, really adverse effect on how you approach your craft. And you can kind of and have the reverse intended effect. Um, the whole idea of being a storyteller is meant to be, among other things, liberating, but it can actually box people in in a really tangible craft level. So... And now I'm going off my own. Well, for, no, well just, to, just to stick on that point for, for a bit, like for you to do a, a talk like that kind of says to me that you're, you're aware of what's happening within, you know, the wedding photography world and community. Like, do you pay attention to that? And do you see, do you think about like how you can stand out amongst the, you know, the sea of photographers like that? Or do you just do your own thing and people like it? Cool. Uh, a bit of a bit of both. Um, I like I like as much as possible, kind of just trying to take the piss and test the market. Um, I tried that when I first started out, and uh, and um, I wrote an article in Rangefinder that came out a couple of weeks ago, exactly exactly that, and how that flopped for me. Um, you can kind of only try drastic things when you've got I don't know enough audience profile inquiries that let you pivot. Um, yeah, I, I do. I mean, it's impossible not to pay attention. So, I mean, I know what's going on at any given time, and I, yeah, I try to. I mean, this, you know, I want to. I want to put zombies into my brand. Zombies. If, if that isn't the total opposite of, of deers and um, you know wistful wanderlusty stuff, I don't know what the fuck is. But like anything, any, anything can work if it's um, approached in the correct, tasteful, delicate way. And I want to put zombies in my brand. Why not? Oh yeah, why not? I want to play. No, I want to. No I only want to use Deantward songs in my in our slideshows, but Jakob won't let me. So I, I think yeah. there's a place for everyone. Yeah. <laughs> I read a I, I read a quote. Well, I've read it a few times, but I came across it um, the other day when we tried to do the first podcast, but it didn't happen. But it was a you know it was a Chuck Close quote, and I don't know exactly word for word how it went, but basically it was like. Um, inspiration is for amateurs and the rest of us just show up and get to work and i read it after we didn't have our podcast but i like i don't really know you but i feel like that quote might resonate a little bit more with you as opposed to like find your voice find you know follow your heart do you agree or am i oh totally because totally no one knows you can go on this kind of paper chase about trying to find your voice when your voice the voice it, it comes to you, whatever you, that voice, whatever you want to call it, it comes to you when it's ready. And I've, I've had conversations with friends sort of trying, racking their brain to find the personal, perfect personal project. 
And that is the least effective way to finding the perfect personal project is by trying to find it. Um, any, any great art, any, any inspiring things, any kind of voice injection comes as a tangent of something from something else as a thread. So when with that Chuck, that is a Chuck Close quote, is it? I think it is. I'm terrible with names, uh, but awesome. I, I think it yeah. is. Ah, oh, that's right. Yeah. Um, I, it, it's so true because what people don't realize is you, if you just, I don't know, if you go to some, if you try out things that you think you're opposed to that jar you and, and put a crowbar into your mind, go to a death metal gig, hang out in a nursing home with old people, who knows, whatever the hell it is, um, that's going to have more of effect in um, brewing creative tangents than, than anything else, than trying to find this arbitrary voice thing. Um, and you're just, you're just filling up these buckets and then the dots will get drawn themselves. Did you, like, have you always been this way? Like, in your teens, for example, like, were you just this curious guy, like, bouncing around between things? Because when I hear you say these things, you strike me as a guy who kind of had a lesson learned or a a series of experiences that kind of, like, accumulated to this. You kind of, like, I don't know, you strike me as a guy with kind of a strong opinion on these types of things. So where did that come from? Yeah. I've got a, yeah, I like, I like to have a strong opinion on things. Um... I, if I was to try and tie it back to anything, I'd probably try, I'd probably tie it back to my, my folks and how they approached art in the form of music. Um, from as early as I can remember, they, they've just been hugely passionate about music and, and critical on a, on a functional level. So we grew up um, listening to what I think was good stuff, but they, they cared about why they liked things and the, and the emotional impact that it had on them. And the art that I consumed... I always wanted to have that effect on, on me. So yeah, when I started drawing and, and doing all that stuff through high school, um, there was, I guess, a fair bit of intent there and consciousness. Well, what you just said there is kind of interesting. Like they cared about why they like things and it, like to just stick on that. Is that, is that like just a habit that you've always had? Do you think? Because it's, it's a pretty, that's a pretty accurate statement about taste in general and, and things like that. So have you always kind of been that way? Uh, I, th- oh, I, th- I think I was, I think I'm probably a classic introvert and, you know, even, even in primary school, I just got immersed in art and stuff. So it all, it all kind of bolted together nicely. Um, I, I feel quite heavily through art and particularly music. And I guess that's the kind of thing that I'm always chasing. Are you, do you have an athletic background as well? I mean, I just kind of like stalked you on Facebook a little and it looks like you're doing Tough Mudder and things like that. Is that like <laughs> your face photoshopped into pictures or is that actually you? <laughs> Bit of uh, gratuitous liquefy tool on the calves. Oh, no, I've never had calves. <laughs> I can't even. Yeah. Um, I, I grew up watching Power Rangers. Oh, God, that was wonderful. Um, and I, I did martial arts. That was my, that was my thing. And I, and I really loved it. Um, one-on-one sports, particularly martial arts, totally uncoordinated with anything that involved a ball. In fact, I tried catching a football um, in primary school and it landed and broke my little finger. And I went to catch it a second time in the same match and it landed and double busted the same finger. So I was never going to have a career in ball sports. But I loved, I loved fighting sports and I loved how there's something primal about it because there's a, there's a sense of um, uh, survival <laughs> attached to it. And I loved, I loved that. To me, it was... 
to me, those sports were always the most visceral and, and real. So, kind of. So, team sports were not your thing. They, I enjoyed them. I, I played a, oh, I played a cracking game of soccer for a bucks the other week and, and loved it. But I was just never heavily involved in. I mean, I played basketball for a few years, but yeah, I love. There's something I love. I get inspired, you know, all like all like classic Rocky stuff. So. <laughs> Yeah, fair enough. So I asked that because I'm curious, like, what did you think you were going to be doing when you grew up? I mean, did you always feel like it feels to me like you're you're if there's like a spectrum of an artist on one side and then the other side of the spectrum is like a pure entrepreneur. You're more of an artist to me. Like, did you feel like you're going to be an artist growing up? I think I did. I it was definitely going to be an illustrator and I and I completely thrashed that until I was about 14 or 15 and then kind of quit because of some perceived pressure and just threw the hands in the air and thought, you know, you know, 15 year olds say, you're not going to tell me what to do, all that kind of crap. Um, that was probably the worst move I ever made because I ended up trying to pick it up again five years later and then doing that as a, as a living more or less. So I think I was always going to do something creative, um, never, never anything entrepreneurial. And now I feel like that's where I want to put my time, entrepreneurial stuff. I feel like I'm great at getting um, 5% of a lot of things done. You should see my Evernote, um, Evernote software. It's just full of ideas. <laughs> no action. So, yeah, that, now that's kind of what I want to shift gears to. Like, okay, so like with these podcasts, I kind of like it when I don't really know who I'm talking to because I just kind of like pluck out bits that, I don't know, that kind of stick out. And when you're saying these things, it, it sounds are you like, are you slightly disorganized? And and what I mean by that is like, do you have so many ideas going on? It's it's really tough to like reel them all in. Ah, it's it's cri- completely crippling. Yeah, completely crippling. Well, and how do you how do you? I don't know. In, in your experience, like, how have you gotten to the point where you decide to like take action on ideas? What's the tipping point for you when when you get to that stage? It's kind of there. Almost hasn't been a tipping point lately because I haven't I haven't been able to action anything. There's one small little online app type thing for example that bolts into the workshops i teach and i finally just committed last night to putting in a few hours and briefing this developer and going okay cool and i, and I looked back at the conversations we've had and i just dragged it out over four months and that was an idea that's over a year old anyway so i don't i guess the tipping point is just probably fear of not getting stuff done and i i've i've been through the rigmarole of having ideas that you know are kind of taking the piss and aren't that good and eventually they filter down to a few where you're like, okay, hang on, this this could be something great. Um, that's where I feel like working with a team and having a collaboration is a really valuable thing. I mean, the studio that I'm in now started with two other friends and it wouldn't have happened if unless there were all three of us there chipping away and making each other on. And we did we, we got so much done in two months, we built the place. So really like do you have uh, do you have people influencing your like your business decisions or do you have a mentor or anything like that have you ever had someone kind of like giving you directions no and that's half the problem i've got a lot of really inspirational people around um a lot of them actually as a result of that new zealand conference that i mentioned um who have become quite tight with them but uh, yeah as far as a business mentor i haven't yeah yeah i can see definitely see the use in that for sure okay okay so just kind of switch gears a bit uh, let's talk about the music videos that you've made. Like you've had a, a like pretty big success with a few of them, at least. Why don't you like just kind of give us the rundown of that part of your life? I love I love music videos because they're it's a it's a it's kind of a format where you you're at peace with the idea that it's not about the money. 
Um, and the trade-off of that is usually that you can just do whatever the hell you want. And I did a bunch of, um, a few years ago, I did a, a few a few hip-hop videos that I probably would make every effort to not show anyone. <laughs> and a little bit after that, I, I started yeah, just trying to fuse. I just think they give me, there's a whole lot of untapped ideas and ways of doing things. And um, I was able to kind of just try out a few things with a couple of them. Um, well, you d- didn't, you, didn't you do one that involved like a crazy amount of portraits that were taken in the, in the exact same way or something like that? Like, or am I uh, way off that, base? No, no, that, that, that's on there. Um, yeah. So a friend of mine that runs an agency, it, they pretty much just do music videos and commercials. He, um, he's a, yeah, he's a, he's an ideas machine, this guy. And he had an incredible idea for this clip. So he directed it um, and brought me on his DOP just to work out how to, how to go about it. But the basic idea was having, um, I think originally they wanted about 500 people, um, but rotating through stills of them singing. And um, yeah, and using, yeah, using stop motion software to kind of bring them all together in that. So we took around about 4,000 images of, I think around 350 people we got in the end. Um, And then I had to work out a workflow to edit them each individually, one by one. So there was, so that when you look at it, you kind of, you get the feeling that you couldn't have just sort of done that in video software. That looked, there was something bespoke about it. So worked out a, a workflow where I could spend um, a maximum of 10 seconds on every image using a bunch of brush presets and stuff and, and then just went to town on that. So that was, that was awesome. We were, we were walking out of the studio at 7 in the morning um, seeing people just heading to work. And it's like, oh, yeah. Oh, nice. Uh, if, some, if people want to view that, what should they search for? If they, if they search on YouTube... Um, there's a YouTube and Vimeo version, but the YouTube one has has the the ideal final grade. So if they go to YouTube and go to Paper Kites Young, um, that'll come up. So, like, forget about wedding photography um, and the things that you've accomplished there. Like, you're doing well, blah blah blah. But like, when you look back at the other projects that you've been a part of, um, like, you know, to me that would stick out as a big one. But do you have other kind of like big accomplishments that you that you've done that are like project based like that? Uh, not, not to be a, not to be a depressing diva, but no, um, the one, the ones I'm really passionate about are in my head and that's the one thing I feel I haven't done. And, you know, if you go to art school, um, which I didn't, you, one of the first things that's instilled in you is a project based approach. Um, yeah, yeah. and I've, yeah, that's definitely one of, one of the things I want, I want to get doing. Um, most of the stuff I've done in the last couple of years has just been, little bits and pieces when I can, you know, you do a portrait here and there and yeah, fairly thoughtless stuff. So I'm not, like to just like connect the dots to wedding photography then in that case, like, I don't know, like, is it just as simple as you did a wedding and people liked it and you just blew up? Like, was it really that, was the line that direct? Because I don't know, that's how it came, that's how you came across, like to me, that's how you came across a few years ago when I first saw, you know, the first wedding you did. It's like, okay, well, he knows his shit. He's really good. Was it that simple? Uh, God, what did we, so initially, because I was working at agency full time when I, yeah, when I first started. So there's basically a friend of mine, Michelle Hunter, who's, yeah, carved out a pretty wonderful career doing hip hop photography. She... Yeah, we, we messaged each other online. We're like, oh, you're a photographer. Oh, you're doing photography. We've been mates for a couple of years. Um, so we said we would there and then create a wedding photography business, having not done a single wedding. And then we shot, um, I think, a circle of four or five of her friends in the first six, nine months or something. Um, the beauty of that was that we could do whatever we want because there was 
very little cash involved um, and expectations. I mean, they, they knew they'd get a nice, pretty shot. Um, so it was kind of the ideal start. And I think one of the pivot points for me was when uh, shortly after that I realised, holy crap, there's this thing called light. I don't know how to control. I've just been, you know, blasting away and not even thinking about it. Um, and I did a couple shoot with a couple of friends and I decided that I was just going to restrict everything down to one variable, that being one window light in their bedroom, nothing else. Um, and that totally changed in that one shoot, that one morning, how, how I saw light. And I then started applying that to... Because then I started producing images that I loved and that resonated with me. And then I just started applying that to the weddings that we were shooting here and there. Okay, so to take a kind of like... Maybe this might come off negative, so it's not intended to be. But when you when I think about your background, it, you're doing a lot of cool stuff, like music videos and, and you know, design in general is interesting. You're, you were working with branding, I think, too stuff like that like in mm. atari in atari you know you're doing all this cool stuff cool stuff and weddings are not cool that's the reputation at least like that we we know that right like we know that re- the reputation of wedding photography is like not that good at least that's what the reputation is so when you're like presented with this uh, opportunity or idea to to go down the wedding path doing all the cool shit that you did and knowing that the reputation of wedding photography is pretty low like how did you convince yourself to do it? Uh, it's, a, it's a terrible answer because it, it kind of, well, it comes out of necessity. It, it got to a point where I'm, I committed to photography and the only way that I could make an income with what I knew was to shoot weddings. So I went down that path. But at the same time, I went down that path going, I kind of want to do them in the way that I want um, so that I don't become creatively dull and, and producing asinine work, asinine work to me. So, yeah, and I guess I try and that's, that's a constant battle to reconcile with those two things. But, yeah, more and more I'm drilling into clients that um, are creative in their own right and really appreciate the weird and wonderful, wacky, stupid techniques and stuff. Are, do you think about being hired by the right people? And, and if you do think about that, how do you, like, actively get hired by the right people, whatever that means, like, to you? I... I I don't. I tried. I tried to have a, a kind of like a hard, hardcore filtering mechanism a while ago, where you know, if I didn't like the sound of the inquiry, I, I was like, oh, I got a few bookings. Sweet. I don't need to take this one. I'll hand it to a friend. That's not on my alley. Um, and that, that was a fast way to actually not booking work. So what I'm getting is a friendly people inquiring, and if they want to book, if they can afford me, and I'm not that crazy expensive, then then I take it and everything's great. I. I feel like if you're going to go down, I don't really try and go down the path of targeting people through intelligent means, such as um, blogging or submissions, that kind of thing. I've really dropped off the radar there. I've got um, a pretty creative wedding getting published in one of the Martha Stewart things in May, which I'm stoked about because that'll bring in, I know that'll bring in more clients like that. But the way I've been doing it is just just on my front page to show polarizing images. Um, and that itself is its own filtering thing. I only get clients that understand or like the dynamic that I'm presenting. Guys like you are really interesting to me in um, wedding photography. Like, and what I mean by like guys or girls like you, like like Sam Hurd and Jeff Newsom and yourself, and uh, like a lot of these people like yourself who create cr- super creative work, like interesting, you know, hundred image Brennazar, you know, panoramics, or you know, you do this creative stuff. And you show this polarizing work, people then probably want that on a consistent basis. 
and you can create that on a consistent basis. But I, but my question for you is like, how does a guy like you like stay fulfilled when you're not doing those creative stuff? Because the reality of wedding photography is a lot of it's not that creative. It's a lot of it's like the family portraits or, you know, like the, the slow parts of the day. So how do you like balance that act? Uh, it's, it sounds like total fluff. Um, but I just try and stay grateful and know that, you know, in, the, it's the only job I've ever had where the the end result of delivering the project is tears of gratitude, all sorts of kind of things, um, every single time. So I I don't worry about it. I I don't worry about it at all. I just try and chase interesting things. Um, if I'm working with happy people, which enthusiastic people, which I usually am, then it's just a good day out. Yeah, I don't worry about that. I definitely don't worry about that kind of stuff. And I try. I think it can be a pretty poisonous mindset to get into and start feeling that sense of entitlement. So I try and stay out of it. Sometimes it's hard. It was hard when I had a, a double header recently, but yeah, I try and I just try and manage it. <laughs> Fair enough. So what keeps you busy when you're not doing artistic endeavors? Like what kind of like do you brew beer? Or do you do MMA fighting or like what what when you take you all away from all the artistic stuff? Like what who are you? There's no fighting at the moment because I had a pretty horrific shoulder injury on New Year's Eve. Uh, so there's none of that stuff. I do, do, do. What do I do? What do I do? Who are you? Oh, god. <laughs> god, who are you? Um, oh, God. Yeah, look, t- to be honest, there's not a lot of other stuff going on It's as I try and condense everything. Um, I... Yeah, music and entre- and app development stuff is is what I'm pa- I'm passionate about making useful things to people, um, and getting back into some creative projects I've got that are like just developed in my head right down to a detail. But, yeah. Well, you've mentioned the app thing a couple times, so I'm curious about that. Are you allowed to talk about it, or is your yeah, idea going to get stolen away by the millions of oh. listeners to this podcast? Yeah. <laughs> I probably I probably won't go into details. Look, one of them is going to get made, whether by me or someone else. Um, when you've got people in an industry screaming for four or five, six years about wanting this one thing. It's pretty Is obvious. It someone's slideshows? Make yes. <laughs> <laughs> I made, I made a, a um, MVP with a friend in two nights a year and a half ago. And we're like, this is already, yeah, but then it, we, we just got busy and frizzled. Um, someone will do it. It should be, I've got it drawn out how it should be. Um, Cause that's all I did in the past career was interaction design for a period. Um, and everything that, could be wrong with the current offerings uh pretty wrong so, so we're talking about slideshows yeah, like we're talking about slideshows yeah. basically right so yeah it's gonna be exciting for somebody whoever does it you better do it somebody like right now we're not going to say what what we use but it's just the best of the worst and that's not a that's not a good way to use a product Ah, oh, totally yeah it's just like eating pizza at the bottom of a bin that's been dragged around and around and inherited all this nasty bin juice and yeah it's not nice so you just said you just said there that one thing you worked with was um interactive design is that right Mm -hmm. so so like can you elaborate on that because that's kind of interesting to me like like how i interpret that is like the interaction of like how someone purchases something or votes or something like how they interact with a website or you know any sort of interactive medium is that what you were doing? Yeah, totally. Yeah, a little bit. There's, there's guys that get to do really exciting stuff in that space um, where they're, yeah, they're talking a whole lot of device and tangible interactive stuff. Um, the stuff I dealt with was mostly mostly in digital. So, yeah, web stuff, um, 
theory when someone's using an interface and um, trying to get them from point A to point B and, and convert them. Um, I did a lot of sort of micro app design. Um, yeah, fascinated by how people use things, basically. You, like, I'm trying to like pinpoint all these things that you've done. It sounds like you've really covered the gambit of digital medium. Ah, I've I've done bits. I've done tiny bits of a lot. Yeah, tiny little bits of a few a few things in that space. Yeah. So, are you able to pick one thing out of out of the whole lot that you've been able to like apply to a wedding photography business? Ah, uh, hey, that's an interesting one. I think um, one that I have applied, or one that sure you could apply in theory. Both. How about both? A bit of A and a bit of B. Oh, okay. You caught me off. Look, uh, from a business point of view, I'll try and think on that one. Um, from a from an artistic point of view, that you know, all the Photoshop chops that I Photoshop chops that I kind of gained when working as, as a designer are stuff that are directly applicable to weddings now. So I can I can get if I want to, I can get looks and feels that. And not able to be gained inside Lightroom purely because I know a few extra tools. Mm-hmm. Just, you know, nothing remarkable, but that's a direct kind of correlation to working in design out of necessity. Um, Business-wise, if I, I mean, I just feel completely not that I, not that I do much marketing or or have a unique site, but I know that if I wanted to do either of those, and I can, um, and I see it kind of, it can cripple a lot of people when they haven't done marketing stuff before, and you forget. I guess you forget the benefits of. The knowledge you've gained through working in other careers. So I'm always trying to go. Okay, hold on. What have I learned that I can apply to this now? What's useful that I haven't maybe considered? Hmm. Interesting. So with with kind of like the trajectory of your wedding um, photography career, if you want to call it that, how how important is it to do like workshops and speaking gigs and things like that? Like, or maybe important's the wrong word, but like, do you? Do you actively try to do these types of things, and do you want? Do you see yourself doing more of this and substituting that for more weddings? That's yeah, that's an interesting one. What I'm finding is um, through I'm finding that I'm starting to think about content that I'm actually really passionate about sharing, and that's been a real. I've not I've never gone out speaking speaking gigs. Um, yeah, they've they've kind of come out organically, which has struck me. As, yeah, quite kind of bizarre and scary. And why why is it why is it mind. why is it bizarre and scary? Like, are you a timid guy, I, or like why why would you feel that? Uh, way? Okay, five, not even not even four or five years ago, if I was in a meeting room with a fluoro light with maybe three or four other people talking about stuff that I knew, um, I would get just rampant sweats and anxiety to the point of just wanting to walk out of the room. It was it was crippling, and. Yeah, so to me, it's bizarre the idea of getting up and, and talking to people because it goes completely against everything that I've ever kind of been involved with, which is to, to retreat from that stuff as quickly as possible. Really? So you're like you're a non-confrontational kind of guy, like to the most part, or or how would you describe yourself when you're in that type of setting? I'm getting more confrontational now, but I mean, to give you an idea, when I played in a death metal band and was wearing corpse paint and having fake blood spat at me a few years, only two or three years ago. Even then, on on stage, I would kind of intuitively try and retreat back, um, just so I could focus on playing um, and not showing. I guess so. It's a 
yeah, it's something I've had to try and adapt to fairly quickly. <laughs> Lusted into the spotlight. So you're in a death metal band. It's probably important to talk about the blood spitting and all that fun stuff. So why don't you, like, was it a legit band or were you like in a garage having blood thrown on you or like, like how big was your band? It was legit. They were, oh, oh, yeah, they, they are one of my very favorite bands. Um, and for me, they were, they were doing really, really great stuff in the genre. So the only reason I joined when an opportunity came up was because I love their music. Um, so we, but by comparison, the genre is pretty small for that level well, of. Well, how do you do? Uh, how do you do that though? Like, like you got to have a bit of talent and reputation to just kind of slide into a band like that. So, like, were you like, how did you do that? I could I could play the music and I was, and I was a huge fan. Um, and I, yeah, I was friends with a couple of members anyway here and there. So it's kind of, and I, if you look into any bands that actually, I mean, we were tiny, like not even a flip on the radar by any any measure, but they just cut a couple of really good albums. But the, if you look at any any actual large functional band, a lot of the members, that's how that happens. They, it's really organic. Um, they might be a, a really crappy player, but they they get along well, so they slide in and, and make it work. So yeah, I was just happy playing music that I really loved. Do you have any? Do you have any like totally bizarre stories? Because if you're in a black death metal band, like I, you know, I envision some pretty heavy shit going on. Like I, I, there's this one. Peter Best did a photography series on um, Norwegian black death metal groups. That was actually what got me into photography. I, I loved that series. Oh, I remember, wow. and I remember a lot of the the images were like grotesque. It was cool though. They like there was like. Animal. I don't remember what animals, but there was like animal heads on spikes in, in on, on the stage, and it was like very hardcore shit. So, were you at that level, or like, do you have any crazy stories like that? No, it's it's funny because a lot of the bands, a lot of the bands in um that genre now, there there is a massive veganism movement in black metal, believe it or not. So <laughs> <laughs> you don't get that stuff, got that kind of stuff happening. The the um the blood I had spat on me was fake stuff that the dude mixed in his mouth and yeah, it was classic. It's all, the other thing I love about those genres, they're, they're all about show and I, I bumped into a, I bumped, yeah, they're all about melody and, and, um, and yeah, just feel that, yeah, I, I love it. I bumped into a guy and um, he's a fairly prolific Melbourne music photographer and he's, he's got a few years under his belt Um but he, I heard him talking about the favourite stuff he loves to shoot, and he said, without question, it was local black and death metal kids because the kids that do it are so passionate about putting on the most involved, engaging show they can. And within those genres, they're kind of unique because metalheads are total nerds, and they, they're the kids that come home from school and then practice the most monotonous, chromatic, boring rubbish for eight hours straight just to try and re-engineer their fingers to do these ridiculous things. Um, so there's like there's a really interesting degree of passion that I well, there's find a, inspiring like, in those genres. Yeah, I agree. And there's a theatrical element, like you said. So, like, are you a theatrical dude? Uh, I, I, yeah, I love it. I mean, I like to. Yeah, yeah, I, I love everything about the the theater in, in those genres for sure. That's wild, man. Because like I saw, I think it was on your Facebook, um, your personal page. Uh, it looked like you were being photographed in a river, and you like. Got, your arm got cut or something like that. So, so I, I don't know exactly what. Maybe you can elaborate on that a little bit more. But in doing so, I'm curious if you're like a guy who's totally comfortable being in front of the camera as well. 
No, no, and I've, I never really have been, but I'm a. When a really great photographer says, "Oh, can you be my subject for this thing?" It's like, holy shit, go all in. Um, she's a yeah, good friend of mine, Lily Waters, with a phenomenal body of work. Um, she does fairly highly theatrical shoots, and she wanted um, basically a kind of river walking nomad type guy. And I had a giant red beard at that, that point, and um, and I was like, holy crap, yes, I'm going to go all in. I'll cut off my beard with a knife to shoot and hair. Like we'll do, we'll just go all in and make it wax. But um. We got to this river, and she she's great. She's all about hiring a proper costume. Um, what is her name in. again? Um, Lily Waters. Okay. Yeah, she's 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 a brilliant mind. She um. Anyway, keep sorry. I, sorry, I, I cut you off there, and I, I couldn't hear you. But keep going, man. I, I'm curious about what happened here with this. <laughs> she yeah, we got to this river, and um, she she was just like she's funny because she'll she'll have all these great ideas in her head, but she was also, I think, fairly concerned that the river was moving too fast and she wasn't going to ask me to go in. And I'm like, look, I'll, I'll go in. Let's, let's do this. We're here. Let's do it. And the river was blasting. It was kind of shallow enough, but it was, it was blasting. So I've walked out there with this stick and um, I've never felt water so icy cold. But I, I dunked myself once um, and she's basically like, oh, no, that's done. And I'm like, no, I'm staying out here. We're going to do it again. And we, I think I dunked myself about 10... 10 different times. And, and the thing I love about that shoot is that the pain and, <laughs> and desperation on my face is completely real because I feel like <laughs> the end of the world in that river. And, I, and um, yeah, I love, and I'd never done anything like that, but I thought for Lily, yeah, you've kind of got to go all in for her work. So it was, it was awesome fun. Well, well not, do, so. doing something like doing something like that, you know, I wasn't there, but I'm, I can imagine what it was like. It takes it takes a special personality to be able to say like "fuck it," I'm going all in with something. Like, like were you the guy at high school parties jumping off buildings and doing crazy shit? Like, do you, is that kind of like how your personality is? Would you say? Oh god! In in year in year seven or eight, got up to some bad stuff. But I was fairly timid <laughs> by the end of high school. Um, I don't know what happened. Yeah, I don't know what happened. Yeah, I, I don't know. I wasn't that guy. So maybe that's all this repressed stuff that's finally coming out. <laughs> yeah, who knows? Fair, fair enough. Fair enough. So you're, so you're a traveling guy. You're in demand. You're doing lots of workshops. You're doing lots of presentations. Uh, do you kind of see a... Do you have like a... How, how would you say? Do you have like a... A lifespan or an expiry date that you see with with what you're doing with weddings because it sounds like you could jump into pretty much anything that you want to do um are you kind of buying time with weddings before you do something else or is this something that has a long game for you i'm still playing i'm still playing catch up and i feel like i'm not investing the time that i want or need into the shoots the way shoots i'm doing so and i look at everyone else's businesses um and they, they look so organized and perfect and polished and amazing you know you look at the christmas and you're like holy shit they're they're scientists. They're yeah, it, it blows you away. So, I'm I'm trying to finally get to a point where it's at a manageable, sustainable level that I can actually invest. You know, you should be able to invest time in your craft every single day. Um, and lately, it's been maybe once every few months at best. So, I'm trying to get back to that. And long term, I'm not doing nearly as much as I'm doing. Maybe I think I did 28. I did 32 weddings last year, and I think I've got maybe 15, 16 books um, this year, and I'll get to 25. Long term, I think my sweet spot might be ten or fifteen, and then doing a bunch of freebie music videos, and then some um, more charitable-based community stuff is what I'm I'm passionate about finding the time for. So, and death metal. 
and back to death metal. <laughs> Black metal. <laughs> Black death metal. The more, the more melodic cousin. Yeah. <laughs> All right, cool, man. Well, you're th- a Scandinavian guy. You, have you got the metal in I am a Canadian guy with Icelandic and uh, Indian descendancy, so I'm not too sure if I'm like. What's up? Iceland qualifies. Iceland qualifies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure, sure. No, I, I don't know the death metal thing. I need to pursue it a little bit harder. I think. I think there's a scene here where I live in Sweden, so maybe I'll uh, photograph that or something. I can't play any any instruments worth shit, so I'm not gonna like jump into a band like you did. That's for sure. All right, man. Let's wind her down. I'm gonna see you in a couple weeks in Rome. Uh, yeah, looking forward to meeting you in in the flesh. Ah, uh, dude, I can't wait. Sorry. But thank you very much for uh, for putting this together. Uh, we, we battled with the schedule a little bit, but we got it done. We did. All right, cool, man. Thanks a yeah, lot. Thanks so much for having me. Take care. Thank you, mate. Bye. Cheers. That's Ali Sansom, wedding photographer and presenter at Way Up North in Rome, April 2016. If you're interested in more details about Ali or about Way Up North, head over to our website wayupnorth.co. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram under at Way Up North and on Twitter and Snapchat under at Way Up North event. Thanks for listening and talk soon. is Acast Recommends. Every week we pick one of our favorite shows and this is one we think you're going to love. Hi folks, this is Rick Wilson from The Daily Beast's The New Abnormal. And I'm Molly Jongfast, a left-wing pundit and editor-at-large at The Daily Beast. I'm also an editor-at-large at The Daily Beast, a former Republican political strategist, best-selling author, and full-time troublemaker. Every Tuesday and Friday, we have fun, sharp conversations with people like Mary Trump, who reveal why her uncle is the worst president we've ever had. Or Ben Stiller on how the world of comedy is changing thanks to our political landscape. Tune in to The New Abnormal to hear us have fun conversations about a world gone mad. Acast is home to the biggest podcast from the U.S. and around the world. Subscribe to this show and hundreds more now via Acast or wherever you get your podcasts.